Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today, I'm joined by Kari Haug. Kari is the owner and lead golf course architect at Kari Haug Planning and Design Inc a golf course architecture company that focuses on sustainable and eco-sensitive golf course design. Kari is a member of the European Institute of Golf Course Architects and one of the very few female golf course architects in the world. She is committed to eco-sensitive and sustainable golf course design and the improvement of course playability for women and seniors. A competitive amateur and former collegiate golfer Kari is able to envision sound golf strategy from tee to green. Using CAD technology and other design rendering techniques, Kari is able to make drafted designs come to life for a memorable golf experience. I'm excited to have her join me today for discussion around her sustainability model and playable pathways to see how we can make golf courses more enjoyable for female golfers and slower swing speed players to play, which is a crucial part of engagement and keeping them as active golfers. Ah, I'm doing great. And thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Ed. I, I'm happy to join you and talk about um, this important topic. No, it's my pleasure having you on this podcast, Kari. So first question, can you tell us a bit more about your background and your career and, and how you became a golf course architect? Sure. Um, well, my background actually is in healthcare. I was a physical therapist for quite a number of years and then decided that I didn't want to be in the clinic anymore and I was ready to to get back to my first love, which was golf and and art and design and create creating things and being outside and being in the outdoors. And so um, in around 2000, I guess the year 2000, I decided uh, yeah, new millennium. I guess I'm going to uh, uh, go back to school. Uh, so I was an older student. I went back to school and um, got my master of landscape architecture degree at the University of Minnesota. So um, that's kind of how I started. And then I, I moved to Scotland and uh, studied in the European Institute of Golf Course Architects uh, program. At, and at that time, it was hosted by uh, Edinburgh College of Art. Uh, part of uh, the University of Edinburgh in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. And so I studied there for a year and passed uh, the EIGCA's exam, and here we are. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you've always had a, was a big passion for golf, being a player. What was it that, that drew you the most to going into the architecture route? What was it that kind of you found so passionate about that that got, that got you yeah. to start? Um, well, I always really loved design and I always loved the outdoors and uh, it seemed to be the, the perfect combination of uh, creating spaces in the outdoors. 
because you know golf courses are basically a combination of a pathway and a place and uh, you find that you know throughout the golf course and mm -hmm. and I I like creating that journey and uh, making it fun and exciting and challenging and all those things excellent nice well it's a lovely work environment being out on a golf course that's certainly one of the things that that drew me to working in the golf industry so eco-sensitivity and sustainability seems to be two big passions of yours is that something you've always had and is that something which you've kind of channeled even more when it's come to designing golf courses yeah you know i i think it's just it, if it's in you it's in you and i have i grew up you know in the outdoors we had lake a lake cabin growing up um so i grew out up uh just being outside my family is in the john deere tractor business mm -hmm. and so um i just always was uh you know introduced to the land i grew up basically on a lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> mowed a lot of lawns um and grew up next to a golf course we lived just off the third fairway of uh, a golf course in my hometown. So I, I just love the outdoors and yeah. enjoyed being out there. Yeah. I think when you grow up being more of an outdoors kid, you can't help, but just kind of love nature and, and want, right. to, want to preserve it and be in it. And even when it's something as relatively unnatural as a golf course in terms of it's a sport field, it's still, you know, this is still that ecosystem within it, which has so much good for or potential yeah. good for the environment and keeping these green spaces with more cities becoming concrete jungles. The ones that maintain their golf courses within them, I think is so important. Right. I mean, it, I think it's just in you. If, if you, you know, I grew up, my, my grandmother used to take me out, we'd go catch frogs, you know, catching frogs in the Creek. And if you, you grew up being around a healthy ecosystem, which I did. Uh, the lakes and creeks where I grew up were just all very pristine. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up appreciating it. Mm. And what, yeah. what you say about, you know, when you look at an aerial photograph, uh, I was really taken by a photograph in particular. I think it was Melbourne. I believe it was Melbourne. An aerial photograph and the the biggest green spaces that there were were, were the golf courses mm. so. yeah yeah they, are, they do play an important part of, of of keeping those green spaces in the cities and even if they are restricted access they still do a lot of good for for that area with say taking off some of the heat this grass absorbs so much more heat than right the concrete it is important with that so Kari, I'd really love now to go into a bit more your playable pathways. If you can give me some background as to what it is, how you came up with it, and give us some details on what it is. Ed, I'm so glad that you asked that question because nobody has asked me about it before. So um, playable pathways is um, something that it started with me thinking about um, how the landform and uh, ground contours affect the the female ga uh, golfers game senior players game because uh, more of their shots run along the ground of course so um i guess what i would call it is a, a design approach and i hope it becomes a school of design i hope people um eventually start to learn about 
kind of the way that I, I've been doing things. Um, it's really based upon an adjusted center line for women, seniors, and other slow swing speed players. Um, so um, if, if I was to say, you know, there's four things. It's a design approach. It's based on this adjusted center line. The third thing is that it's adjustments to the landform. And then the, the fourth part of uh, my playable pathways uh, design approach is that it's data-driven. And um, I think it's important to use data um, so that you get distances correct when you're designing and, um, you know, angles and rollout and all, all those kinds of things that make a difference with how we design a golf course. So um, what I have been, had been asking for for many years was data that supports, you know, why do we design golf courses for women based on a, a distance that we've designed for men and then just take a percentage? Why don't we actually use data? And I had been trying to find this data, couldn't find the data. So uh, finally this past year, um, I uh, embarked on a, a research study with club champion here in the United States and Sue Shapcott. She's a, a former Curtis Cup player from the UK, but she works in Madison, Wisconsin now. She owns a, a construction company there. Um, and the three, the three of us, three of, uh, we partnered and we collected data on women's hitting mm. um, distances and, and different metrics like launch angle, landing angle, maximum height, all those things that make a difference um, when we design golf, golf courses. And so now I have that data and um, I feel like I, I'm a better uh, designer because mm. I understand those things. Nice. So just pull you back to the adjusted center line. Can you explain sure. that a little bit? That'd be great. Sure. So when we talk about a playable pathway, um, um, uh, when we design a golf course, we, we set up a center line. Well, typically it's set up uh, from the back base tee, a base tee from the back. And that center line, um, when we have to adjust, have to move forward with the tees, that, that center line a lot of times doesn't work anymore and we have to use an adjusted center line or a playable pathway. We have to look at a landing area that maybe is ahead of the landing area for, for men from the back tee because uh, that second shot is also critical for women to get, be able to reach the greens. Mm. So um, I try to get the landing area ahead of where the men's drive landing areas like on a par four. Um, and then from there, I look at where the second shot is, the angle that it's coming into the green. Uh, what's the landform in that area? Um, is is it receptive to the shot? And a, a lot of times the landing area for women is just in flyover country for, for men. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. So if we adjust some of those contours, it doesn't make one bit of difference to the playability of the golf course for uh, male golfers or for longer hitters or low handicappers. So, um, you know, it, it's, um, it, but it does make a huge difference to those shorter, shorter yeah, hitters. Definitely. I think it's something where golf can end up in a lot of silos. So you tend to have, I think a lot of greens or course committees tend to be lower handicap male golfer dominated. And then when they play golf, that's the group they play with. So they okay. just see things from that perspective. But myself, as you know, in previous roles, I've coached and 
I go on playing lessons with my students and I'm landing it onto a downslope and getting a nice yeah. bit of roll. Exactly. And my student's teeing off from 20 yards in front of me and she's landing it in an upslope and getting two yards of roll. Um, and, you know, it just it doesn't affect my playability, how their ball lands. And I see it as well. I played today with a friend and on a shortish par four, there was a bunker at 120 yards from where she was teeing off from, which she can't carry. But right. if she went left of it, she'd be blocked out for the second shot. And if right. she went right of it, she'd be in a gorse bush. So, <laughs> quite literally, her only choice was to aim at the bunker and hope. <laughs> and hope that she could get yeah. over it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it runs through it. And, well, and I do, I see that more often now, kind of you know, thinking about it a bit more from our, uh, when we spoke a while back, maybe kind of more think of it. And when I do go on out on the golf course with people hitting at different lengths, it is, yeah, it's just line of tees right. no consideration for the different angles may be needed it, right. it is yeah a big part of making golf more enjoy it's a tough enough game as it is we don't need to make it harder with how courses are designed right Wait, oh one blessing might be that that bunker that she was trying to hit over wasn't blind <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because because that's that is another issue that that women actually uh run into is you know we're uh, on the average, about six inches shorter than men. Mm. So, you know, the visibility of what lies ahead, we don't always see that. Um, in mm -hmm. the United States, the average height of, of men is 5'9", uh, or in the UK, 5'9", yeah. and the average height of women is 5 feet 3 inches tall. So, mm -hmm. you know, what we see ahead that lies ahead makes a difference too, and that's part of uh, designing for women. Yeah, and I suppose often as well, when you think of the tee boxes, the back tees higher up exactly quite often gets lower down to the front tees the full right. tees as well right mm. and you, you bring up an important part, part of uh my playable path pathways kind of school of design or design approach or whatever you want to call it um is that i talk about wherever possible let's let's uh line the hill crest or use ridge line design so mm. rather than stepping the tees down the hill if there's a ridge line and we can fan them out to the side and follow the ridge line um, okay. and change the angle uh, uh, of approach either to a landing area for a drive or uh, to a par three, this works particularly well on par threes mm. because we can make an accessible route to the green that doesn't have to be carried. It can be a ground game route. And if we fan the teaser or pan over to the other side, we can, uh, call on the lower handicap player, the longer hitter to try and clear a bunker or clear some kind of um, hazard to uh, approach the green. Mm. And and we can adjust the, the angle of the green and the green shape um, to challenge that low handicap player and, and give a playable pathway for the, for the high handicap player. Why do you think historically this stuff isn't in design? Is it just because courses from the beginning were designed with tees in a straight line and just one design and it's just the person who's designing it without thinking about other golfers. Have you got any? It's, it, that's very possible. I, I mean, I, I have said before 
Um, you know, courses typically were designed by men for men. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm now a, a female on, you know, in golf course architecture, and there just aren't very many of us. Mm. So I just think it hasn't been thought of before. And I do think that, that my playable pathways approach is disruptive. I think it's going to change the way that we look at how golf courses are designed and why, why do we do it that way? Why have we just simply used a, a percent of the base T to lay mm. out the T's ahead of it? Why don't we look at the driving distance and the landing area and um, it, I, I think it makes for much more excitable golf and fun and playable golf if if we do mm. it the way that I've been doing it. So, oh, definitely, it's important. I remember reading actually it was Hank Haney talking about when he coached Tiger playing with him on the golf course. The way they would play to have a bit of a match is Haney would tee off from far enough ahead. He would <laughs> he would his tee shot would be 20 yards past Tigers because doing it where they tee off to the same place doesn't work because then he's hitting three clubs more in still. You're right. You're exactly right. And that's where having it, yeah, just a random percentage plucked out of thin air, 10% say, well, it doesn't work if just because the tee shot's now level, that still gives a disadvantage. I think it was Trackman data that talked about ideally having a seven iron in was kind of the funnest way of playing because then you'd hit, you'd hit the green half the times. I think, well, a lot of people I play with, they're hitting woods in most of the time if they're <laughs> able to reach. Right. And it would just be, yeah, more fun if there was tees further forwards. And and some clubs are getting bent better with having like gender neutral tees, taking away the idea of, well, that front one's a ladies tee. Well, that front one should just be for the person who needs to play that yardage, not that's only one group of players. Because I'm pretty sure if you know someone like Lexi Thompson went to play a golf course, the red tees probably isn't going to be where she wants to play from. She wants to play from whatever yardage is going to be an enjoyable challenge for her. And a senior golfer, a male senior, senior golfer, probably wants to play from pretty far forwards to be, or should play from pretty far forwards to make it more enjoyable for them. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that is a, a very important point that you made about, you know, Hank Haney wanting to land 20 yards ahead of, of Tiger because um, that second shot is very critical. Mm. So. Yeah, I think that's one that gets doesn't get thought about. It's only the tee shot gets looked at of where can the tees be to be maybe end up the same or make the landing point the same. But again, it, I look at a lot of courses that I play and there's so many bunkers that just aren't in play for me, which makes me think, well, if they're not in play for me, they're probably in play for someone who hits it shorter. Well, that doesn't seem to make much sense. There needs to be some challenge, but sometimes you look at it and go, well, that bunker being there, no one can possibly get over that who (laughs) isn't able to hit it, you know, 150 and high uh, and get over it, which I like the idea of the, the tees being found out on like on an angle seems to make a lot of sense for right. giving the right level of challenge for each golfer. Right. Right. Well, and you know, credit has to be given to Alice Dye for first uh, bringing forward that 
that concept. Mm. And uh, she would fan them out to the outside of the dog leg. Yeah. And yeah. there's been, you know, others that have said, oh, no, you have to put them on the inside of the dog leg so that they so people hit away from trouble and they don't try to cut the corner. And and that just waters down the design and makes it not as fun. Yeah. So yeah. I, I do like uh, Alice Dye's first idea mm. of fanning those tees out. Now, I've, mm. I feel like I've taken that quite a few steps further mm. than, than where that was. But um, yeah. OK. And then so let's say you got a golf club, they've already got their golf course as it is, and they want to make it more playable. How, um, you know, obviously I know there's variations of what level of budget they might have, but what would you look to bring into that club? What would be, say, first of all, a cheaper fix? That what What's some quite easy things that they can do to make it more playable? And then what would be some things, so some bigger investment, what would be some bigger changes they can make to then make it more playable? Well, in the scheme of things with a golf course, I mean, tees are not that expensive. Mm. So I, I think, you know, tees and setting up appropriate course length is probably the first thing. Okay. Um, so, you know, just doing kind of a self-assessment of the golf course and, and looking at probably the most egregious tees because they're out there. Every course mm. has them. Every course has a a tee that the the golfer from the forward tee you know they can't clear a bunker like you you talked about yeah. or there's a huge uh, hill with a slope that shunts the golf ball off into the rough rather than you know that forward tee player being able to clear the crest of the hill and catch the down slope and and be off and running you know there every club has uh, a fault mm. well every club unless i've done the design work <laughs> i mean i try I, i'm not faultless but but um you know there's usually yeah. something to be found and just starting to make some of those changes um i i would say that don't try i i really don't like it when when they just put it in the hands of the women's club and say oh where, where do you where do you want your teeth mm. because this is really quite a quite a problem and mm. they end up going back and having to respend money that they probably didn't have to spend in the first place so i i think they should contact the golf course architect they wouldn't change their tees for the for the from the back without contacting mm. a golf course architect why would True. they do it from the front mm. so and also i would i would ask that you know the women that are out there um don't be afraid to ask for an architect mm. you know uh we so often just say oh we can we can handle it ourselves you know and and i i call it the bake sale approach you know let's not hold a bake sale to get something done let's let's ask for an investment in women's golf mm. and let's let's ask for the club owners and the club managers to really um uh, put their money where their mouth is and, and show that they care about the women golf patrons at the club and the seniors, the seniors get sidelined just as much as mm. the women when, as they start uh, aging and not being able to hit the ball quite as far. So I think the first place to start is contact a golf course architect. It's not as, it doesn't cost as much as you think it does, first of all, and um, just get the locations right. And, 
and then start do a phased approach if you want you know start building out the tees but but <clears throat> i think it's important too to get the right golf course architect get one that has studied um design uh you know the hitting metrics of a slower swing speed golfer mm. and ha has some thoughts ask them questions about what what are their thoughts about installing forward tees and how would they approach it if they don't have a good answer don't go with them yeah yeah true. so mm. i guess that's the place to start is is contact mm. the golf course architect get the tees right uh and the course length and then uh, from there, you can go to some of the other, I mean, there's, I have a whole list of other things that could, could be done, but really in the scheme of things, again, it, it's not that expensive. If you look at how much does irrigation cost, how much does a new green cost, mm. you know, if it's just as simple as maybe adjusting the size of a bunker, the position of a bunker or um, where a tee is located, that's really relatively uh, inexpensive mm. yeah and i think a lot of golf clubs and not all but a lot can get a bit sidetracked with oh, we want the long golf course we want the championships but that's mm -hmm. such a tiny percentage of the reality of golf I, okay even I think if i've heard like less than five percent less than five percent of players are actually able to play the tips on most golf courses yeah yeah it's getting past this idea of the target is just to play from the black tees or whatever the furthest back ones are. I think it's, I've played a couple of courses where they actually had all the same colored tees. They just had different numbers. And the idea was it, you had like the 275 tee. So if you hit it 275, that's the tee you play from. So I mean, maybe it wasn't perfect yet in terms of how far they all were, but like, I think that sort of thing moving to some concept of telling golfers, look, if you hit the ball this far, this is the tee on our golf course that you're going to play from, which will be speed up play, which makes mm -hmm. it more enjoyable. And this is more enjoyable not hitting driver three wood five iron to a par four as well, or getting stuck in a bunker that you can't, you can't carry. And I think you need golf course managers to champ um, golf club managers and golf course managers to champion this stuff uh, as well they, they need to be on board i think it's like he's like you're mentioning earlier with the, like the ladies ladies kind of you know having a bake sale almost to try and fund it or do it themselves i think a lot of committees ladies committees can be a bit like that because they feel maybe actually that is their only choice true yeah. and we need that's where they do because they don't always have the representation on the committees and the boards to, to fight for them. Uh, that's where our jobs as um, industry professionals should be there to make it an enjoyable experience for everyone. And you know, there's plenty of female right. golfers out there who, who want to play. And I think if you've got a club that is the best place for them, it certainly attracts them. <clears throat> you mentioned one of your things you've got is about cultural sustainability within it can you go a little bit yeah. into that for me ed what you were just talking about is actually you know uh, the culture of a golf club you know how and the leaders are the ones that that kind of set that tone and um to get more women players and retain them and to retain seniors um, that are starting to age um, the culture has to 
has to change. And we have to provide a product that these groups of people want, that they enjoy, and that fits their game. And if their game has changed as, as the you know, senior game changes, the product that they used to play doesn't fit their game anymore. Well, we have to deliver a new product. We have to deliver a product that, that they can enjoy. Um, so it starts at, at, with the leadership. They need to educate, and, and maybe it goes even higher than that. Maybe it goes to the, the leadership in the golf industry. Mm-hmm. Is it the, the responsibility of the RNA, the USGA, uh, the Golf Course Superintendents Association, the Club Owners Association to educate the leaders of clubs and their membership so that they can take that information back back to their clubs and make the changes necessary in club culture, in the product, and in the services that they provide. Um, and then from there, you know, in the individual clubs can set, you know, key performance indicators and set goals and make sure that they meet those goals. Um, because it's one thing to educate people, but then um, how do you realize that vision that you have? So Yeah, creating that action. I think it, right. Create an action plan, exactly. Yeah, it's... I always think culture is it's what you do is who you are, which I think it's forgotten a bit because I think a lot of people just think what they say is who they are, but it's the actual action of doing it rather than just saying, oh, we're a family friendly golf club for everybody. What have you done to do to become more family friendly? Oh, nothing, but we just say we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, we see that in golf course architecture too. You know, mm. um, we see architects that that say, uh, "I design a sustainable golf course." Uh, it's you know part of my philosophy. Well, what actually are you doing to to be sustainable mm. in your you know design of the course, in maybe the build out of the course, uh, the GAO? Are you familiar with the GAO out of the UK? Yeah, this um, certification. Golf, yeah, yeah. Golf environment. Yeah. Yeah organization um they are really they've got some Mm. tremendous documents on sustainability all the way from how do you host a sustainable event Mm. um to how do you build build sustainably source your products sustainably um one thing that that maybe they're trying to move even further into is what does it mean to, to have a culture that's sustainable? Cause you, in order to have golf, you have to have a, a, a people that, yeah, absolutely. that are part of that model. So um, my sustainability model starts with the environment. That's the base. The next layer on that cake is um, uh, the people, because without the people, you don't have the economic sustainability. And the final layer that tops the cake is economic sustainability. And then it recycles itself. If you have the money, you can invest it in the environment. The environment will bring the people. People will bring more money. So it's it's a cyclical type of, of model that, that I, uh, I don't know if it's just in my head or I've ever written it down, but yeah. I think I have something on my website about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, I think now more than ever with the golf industry, when you look at the younger generations, this stuff is so important to them. Having things be more sustainable, ethically sourced. It's something which I think a lot of people through all generations have been aware of. 
but I think it's now more the forefront. I've noticed that now when I go to shops, like clothing shops, the labels shout loud about where they've ethically sourced the cotton from, maybe a link of where they even got it from, where it's made, because it is more in everyone's mind. And I think golf has a poor reputation for that. And I don't think, I think it's a bit harsh, the reputation they have, but we don't do enough to counter that with data of actually how environmentally good most courses are and how fantastically good some are. And yeah, as you say, organizations like the GEO and what they're doing uh, for it. And now you've got the RNA, you can't host an RNA uh, event without being GEO certified is all mm. yeah. good movements in the right direction. Because um, you look at, you know, when you go to a tour event, you've got so many players, officials and caddies drinking plastic bottles of water in the past and in some mm. events still, yeah, things like that. It's it's exciting times for golf, Mm. for sure. And this this next generation coming through is just um, I'm I'm really happy. I'm I'm really happy to see actually clients even getting on board with it, because I Mm. for many of the first few years of my well, first many years of my career, um, I couldn't get clients to get on board with the sustainability piece. And now I actually have. Uh, I'm working with a client right now with a tw- 27 hole golf complex and, and um, he's all about sustainable sustainability and sustainable design. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very exciting for me to, to have somebody that I feel like we philosophically are on the same page and what we can do with design from there. Once we're on the same page is, is really exciting. Yeah. Isn't that sustainability and environmentally sensitive side to it? it's better in the long term for the course and the club and I don't know enough to know for sure but I'd imagine that maintenance is also a lot easier when you're going more with the natural kind of nature of the land rather than something that's really far away from where it should be Uh, I would say that as also probably being easier and probably more aesthetically pleasing when it's in keeping to the kind of natural countryside yeah, that's that's uh, something this client I am working with right now. That, that is something that that we're looking at very closely. Is mm. is where can he naturalize uh, parts of the golf course? Where can he cut off the irrigation? And you know, there's parts of golf courses that are irrigated that have no business being mm. irrigated. We don't need it irrigated. <laughs> yeah. And the the color difference that starts to come out and pop and frame golf holes when you do that is just amazing. Um, I wrote an article a while back on uh, how do you make a golf course more memorable? Mm. And we use, we borrow elements from art, you know, mm. color contrast and angles and uh, vanishing points and all, all those um, different things that, that we look at when we look at an artistic painting. Um, mm. That's how, really how can we make it? And sustainability, it, it, it really brings all of that to life it mm. really does so I, i'm excited about this this project i'm working on right now mm. so. that's interesting likening it to art because i think to the uninitiated those paintings i look at and go i really like that but if you ask me why i wouldn't actually know you don't know why <laughs> yeah and uh, that's interesting i've not i've never thought about that 
from the perspective of a golf course. I know there's golf courses I play that are aesthetically very pleasing and others that aren't, but I probably wouldn't better put my finger on precisely why, but that makes a lot of sense with the kind of the art perspective of vanishing points and color contrast. That's very interesting. Yeah. Next time you look at a, at a painting, look at, at the angles in the painting mm. and vanishing points and look at, um, uh, rhythm cohesion mm. uh there's so many things mystery yeah uh something that moves you deep down you know the subliminal aspect of yeah. it yeah so so that's that's what i hope to uh bring mm. out in in golf courses mm. that's interesting it must be quite hard when you've got if unless you're going from scratch maybe on a golf course design I think it's quite a skill to better kind of see in your mind what it would look like. Is it kind of, do you find it just kind of, you stand there and you just, it just comes to you, but then you refine it. How do you find it works for you? It's, it's very strange because um, some people see it more on the land. I see some of it on the land, but I see a lot of it when I look at um, the to topographic okay. contours of the land. I'm looking mm -hmm. for valleys, high points, low points, valleys. Uh, how how's it going to drain? What what could we do with that? What what kind of landform can we play with that's already there? How can we adjust it minimally, so being sustainable again, yeah. minimal earthworks if we can? Um, how can we adjust it minimally to make it interesting and fun and playable? So. I, I see the routing and I see uh, things come out when I look at the topography and the aerial photograph and then I go confirm it on, on the land and, and see, you know, and then, then you start seeing, Oh, well, there's a tall pine there or there's uh, there's actually water there or, or that depression doesn't hold water. It won't hold water or, mm. you know, those types of things. Mm. So for, for me, it's easier to, well, not necessarily easier, but I, I do see it. Yeah. Uh, on the paper just as much yeah. as i see it on the physical mm. land oh it's interesting sometimes you have too much vegetation to see yeah yeah i suppose yeah, yeah you're standing That's in the middle of a bunch of trees and bushes and it's like okay well i can't <laughs> see where this would go but then if you look at the topographic contours you can see it yeah so i'll be fine with that because i spend a lot of time in the trees when i play golf so i can probably <laughs> visualize that a lot easier <laughs> this all is going to go through <laughs> the crook in that tree and <laughs> under those branches and land on the exactly so what would you say to to someone so a lady who wants to get into either golf course architecture or work in golf course maintenance because as you said earlier there's not many of them what would you say to someone thinking of it but maybe a bit unsure because they look at it and go it's so male dominated what what would be a good what would be your kind of words of wisdom on that and maybe advice for just going to do it? Um, it's tough. Prepare yourself. It's tough. You need to be uh, of the personality, tenacious personality, um, ready to persevere and, and keep going. And it has to be a passion that, that you definitely know you want to do and, and then find a team find uh, mentors and supporters. And um, I've had so many, it's, it's been mostly men. Well, actually almost all men, except for 
you know, in my mind, Alice Dye was one of my role models, even though I never met her. Mm. Um, but find those people along the way and those groups of people along the way that can support you and stand by you. So mm. I've, there's been so many men that have uh, given me a hand and given me a chance when I needed it. And I'm very appreciative to that for them. Mm. Mm, nice. Any final messages or things you'd like to discuss as we draw to the end? Um, no, I think, you know, we, we covered a lot. We have, we, we have. It's been a nice wide ranging conversation. I think, you know, it's really interesting to hear the different perspective of how we can make courses more playable for the slower swing speed golfers out there, make it more enjoyable. As you said earlier as well, I think the industry, the industry leaders, both people and organizations need to hopefully step up a little bit with this and get this a more commonly thought about uh, aspect of golf clubs and golf courses and and show people you know people like yourself the woman in golf course architecture and people in golf course maintenance have them more center stage a bit as well to give them more of a, of a voice to show people what you can do and that there are people in the in this industry i think it's you know, the old saying or i new saying, I don't know which one it is, of if you can't see it, you can't be it. I think I listened to Kyrie Webb on an interview a while back and talking when she grew up, there was the golf magazines only had male golfers in them to the point she didn't know when she was a kid that it was even a career for for women. I think that's something which industry is better at, but it can still improve, I think. And it's a sport, it's a game for all. And the more we can do to get more people and give more opportunity to people, the better. So Kari, thank you for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation discussing these things and where can people get hold of you if they'd like to get in touch and ask any questions? Uh, they can look, look at my website. It's uh, karihaug.com and that's K A R I H A U G. Karihaug.com. Yeah. Um, that, that's the easiest way. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And I'll make sure uh, within the podcast show description, there's that website link in there for people to get access to you easily. And just before we finish, Kari, is there any final bits you'd like to add on your own work? Um, well, you know, uh, the playable pathways, I think, you know, just to backtrack just a little bit about it, you know, it started with, you know, based on these four things, the design approach, an adjusted center line, adjustments in the landform, and then that is data driven. But within that adjustments to the landform, one of the first pieces that I wrote about it was was uh, creating um, using swales for speed shoots and funnels mm -hmm. to get get the ball to come to rest in a good landing area so that you have a reasonable next shot. And then also using bumpers or mounds, uh, or I called another uh, feature a punch bowl or a catcher's mitt, which is just a depression in the ground that will... Mm -hmm cradle and hold the ball so that so that that shorter hitter has a reasonable next shot and then uh with the t um uh you know you can adjust the the tilt just ever so slightly i'm just talking about one or one and a half percent you know where you can tip the front up and create a launch pad for mm -hmm. the shorter hitter 
Um, and then you can also bias the shot left to right or right to left based on which way you you uh, drain the tea, the surface drain the tea. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, that was the first kind of foray into that. And then ever since then, I've I've expanded it to to look at, you know, accessible greens and um, what's what's landing angle, what's what's the launch angle, and what's the rollout, and how do we make these landing areas much more receptive to to those shots for for a slower swing speed hitter. So. Um, I guess, you know, I just wanted to expand on, yeah. on what, what it meant to create a playable pathway. You know, yeah. it's, it starts with the T's and the course length, but it goes way beyond that. And, mm. um, you know, it can be a phased approach yeah. if clubs want to, want to tackle it. Yeah. Yeah. It's important because I've noticed when I've played again, if with slower swing speed golfers, there's holes where if you land it short of the green, it's quite, damp and soft so your ball just stops but the green's firm which is fine for me the height i hit in from but for them their choice is land it short and it stops land it on the green and it goes through the back it's just yeah that that is important part and i think when for maybe club managers and golf pros when they're doing their course walks if there's just the same people doing it all the time and they're all the same kind of golfer they're just going to see the same stuff all the time. Take out, even if you don't want to necessarily involve the members and you just want to do a staff one, I'm sure every golf club, they have different types of golfers within their staff, even if they're not the golf pros. There'll be right. people there who can say, well, actually, when I play, this is a big problem I always face. And there's a good chance no, they've not thought of that because that's not how they play golf. So it's just that diversity of input of people who are different types of golfers and how their experience is different. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because, um, you know, some of the responsibility I think for the composition of, of the design team, because, you know, we always try and get a few members from a club to be on a, on the design advisory team. And um, I'm glad you brought it up because it's, it's, in part, the responsibility of the golf course architect to ask for diversity at the table and to ask for, um, you know, more than just the low handicap players of a club to to uh, give some input. So yeah, um, yeah. so it's a big one. Get that, mm-hmm. you know, thirty-two handicap, you know, lady golfer who's been playing for two years. Get their input. It's just as valid of their mm-hmm. own experience of, of how they see things, which I think the average four handicap who is at 270 male golfer, that would just in some ways blow their mind because they would just never see those problems because they've probably never faced them other than when they maybe started mm-hmm. playing golf when they were eight years old. So, Kavi, thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you for talking, Ed. This has been a really great conversation and um, a, d- a different one. You know, it's different from from the other podcasts I've done. So thanks for the questions that you asked and the engaging conversation that we just had. So, Thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management. I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them, I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review. 
and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me modernclubmanagement at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Sweda. Sweda is the social learning platform that delivers high quality blended learning with human connection. Sweda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the director of golf at Golf Digest, top 100 in the world ranked course after I completed their influence and communication courses. But don't just take my word and the 97% five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it. Try it yourself. All you have to do is email david at suada.com, that's S-U-A-D-A.com, and quote the Modern Club Management Podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the Reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator.